Hi, I'm Danny Stagg, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metal Ed, Scott here. And Richie. And welcome to yet another week of Focus on Metal. And uh, as I had alluded to, uh, I don't know, last week, a few weeks ago, depending on when the heck this is going to air, there was something we had to do a do-over, and that's this week, because we were initially going to make all of this week into a two-week kind of extravaganza on Kingdom Come, but Richie had kind of the the more reasonable thing of, well, let's just make it one big, long-ass episode. We're backed up on audio, so we need to get it out. Well, there's that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I've been trying to do these, like, hour shows. I've been trying to keep around that for a while, and I really haven't done kind of a... An, an 80s version of a CD lately with 75 minutes of stuff. So uh, that's this week. It's going to be a long one, but two great interviews. And I know you were excited about doing them. Very much so. And uh, I know you got lots of stuff and... and uh, Tons. So, uh, you know, I think we've got plenty of stuff between what Rick has to talk about and what Danny has to talk about. And in case you haven't figured it out, uh, Richie went out and talked to Rick Steyer and then uh, talked to Danny Stagg. Two great interviews, lots of good stuff. Yeah, I just decided what the hell. Like, like, like Richie said, we are we were backed up in audio. Is it like a little kid eating too much cheese? So, uh, what do you say we uh, we roll uh, all of that, and uh, at the end of that, we do a little bit of discussion. Sure, awesome. Hey, Richie. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Nice to talk to you again. You're not going to remember me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Where? When did I last speak with you? I was yeah. at the Tupelo show in Derry, oh. New Hampshire. So years. Last year. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, oh. I kind of do, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, know. I know. That was, uh, I know James, I've known James for a few years, and he, you know, he contacted me about helping the band promote right. the, the new lineup. So, uh, you know, sure. James looked after me at the show, came out, you know, when he, he'd never met me. So, uh he introduced me to all you guys, said, this is the guy who does the radio show I was telling you about and whatever. Okay. Yeah, I don't expect any of you guys to ever remember me, but... <laughs> never know. If we see you again, we might. Yeah. Um, but that's the only time I've ever seen the band. I never saw the band back in the 80s. What, what, what was the band... I mean, what was the name of the, the venue we played? The Tupelo, Music oh, okay. Hall, the Tupelo Music Hall in Derry, New Hampshire. And I'll... I'll oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell... I'll tell you why you probably remember, Rick. You were late coming on stage, and you and Johnny had to come out and play a song or two yep. before the band came out. Yeah, we just were faking it out and just to kill time. Yeah. Because <laughs> the guy fires or something. I don't know, it was crazy. <laughs> so I'm here, really, I want to get into In Your Face, which is 30 years old. But yeah. um, but if you can believe that. <laughs> yeah, I sound crazy. Yeah, crazy. so actually I was talking to... um. Eric Martin earlier tonight was the singer in uh, Mr. Big and right. their debut album was 30 years old this year as well and he was like I can't believe that I know isn't it insane yeah so the time. I know so let, let's talk a minute about uh, what's happening now with the band um, right. um, I had James on the show last year and I, I know Keith St. John from uh, Burning Rain um, right. did, did you know him at all before uh, he came into the band. I had seen him around town playing, and I occasionally met him or said, "Hey, what's happened?" But 
we didn't carry a conversation or, or you know get together in any formal capacity. So basically, the answer is no. You know, again, I said I know him or met him, but you know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna be a bar, you know, whatever. So, so basically, the answer would be no. Okay. Yeah. So you, you've done a few shows with him this year, haven't you? You did a couple of the festivals. Right. We did the Monsters of Rock pre-cruise party in Miami uh, with him, and then we did the uh, the M3 festival in Maryland uh, with him. But we mm. did that little tour. You know, we I got to know him really well when we toured that small run we did September October of last year. So uh, everything's solid now with him. It's, it's pretty good. Hmm. I it's in with the band. Well. I uh, I I'll be honest with you. I thought he nailed all the songs. He was superb. Yeah, I I did too. I mean, to be able to Lenny sang really high. He had a pretty pretty high range, and for uh, for Keith to pull it off, I thought that was pretty amazing. Hmm. So have uh, have you guys talked about writing? We've not just talked about it. Keith and I have started getting together and doing. Uh, playing some riffs that I've had written over the years and he's putting some vocal lines to it. He's out there still working away with other bands too. I mean, it's not like his only new band now is Kingdom Come. I mean, he's worked with Burning Rain and he does a lot of side work for other bands and, and what have you. So we don't get it together as much as I'd like. But we started the process and I'm pretty happy with the way it's going so far. Now, huh. I don't know if you know this, but contractually, we can't release anything for another year. Yeah. Which which is fine with us. I mean, that's the way it was set up with, with Lenny Wolf, the previous singer. Huh. So, uh, it was just it was just the way it was contractually put together. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it gives us plenty of time to, to get it all together. But we're, I'm pretty excited about the direction. I want it to sound... You know, I'm not like saying, oh, we're going to take it somewhere else. I want it to sound like it did. I want it to have the, because I was influenced by Zeppelin, not just Lenny. You know, it wasn't just, everybody was. So I love riffy orientated songs. And that's what you're going to get if and when, uh, you know, we do another album. Hmm. Now, when when you got together to do the, the old songs with Keith, did, did, did playing those come back easy for you? Are you talking about the old, the old songs? Yeah, like, the old uh, songs. Like, you wouldn't have played them for nearly 30 years. Right. Well, I I taught guitar in and out throughout those years. So I, I taught a lot of the, the, the bigger hits, you know, Get It On, What Love Can Be, and those kind of things. But going into the, real deep into the record, um, I, it wasn't a big problem because the songs aren't really, from a musical standpoint, that hard. They're not a great challenge for me because I, I continue to play for 30 years. We've all gotten better. You know, most some, some bands, you know, when they do a reunion, if they haven't played for 10, 15 years together, whatever, and they actually sound worse. Well, in, the, in our case, we all kept playing. You know, James kept playing. JB kept playing the bass player. I kept playing with Warren for a while there. Uh, and I worked in the studio with other bands. So, my chops were had gotten way better, and I think everybody's had. So revisiting stuff that we did thirty years ago wasn't a big challenge for us. It wasn't like, oh my god, what did we do there? <laughs> and it was very easily able to be picked up. Hmm. We we attempted it all after so long to 
maybe change one or two of the songs a, a little bit? Uh, no, because I feel like that's the way our fans remember the songs. And now I know when Lenny, Lenny went out under the name Kingdom Come throughout those last 30 years, right? You know all that. Oh, yeah. So he played those songs a lot was in a position where he could change them because he maybe a, two, a year before he played the same venue and was just trying to change them up a little bit or he got sick of playing them the same way every time. That's the way he felt. And that's God bless him if that's what he did. But we felt like being the original band, we were going to try to present them in the original form as close as we could the way they, you know, the way the listener remembered hearing them at the time they were recorded. So, no, we, we didn't mess with them very much at all. Yeah. Now, when I had James on, of course, I asked him about Lenny, and everyone was asking him about Lenny. Uh, did you have any contact with Lenny at all through all of this process? Not really. Um, we had talked and actually tried to revive this whole thing back in 2013. And that was probably the first time I've seen him. I'd seen him in that amount of time. Maybe he rolled into town around 2010, I believe, or 2009. To visit and we got together but that was the extent of it you know he was when he come to uh, the states he did his own thing and what have you uh, and I had like I said I was playing with Warren for 10 of those years so no not really much contact at all okay a few emails back and forth okay okay so around this time in 88 you would have been in the middle of the Monsters Rock Tour now I, I'm fr I'm from Ireland, right? So I had Donington in England every year, and I remember right. I remember seeing the, this bill for the Monsters of Rock in the U.S. and I was so uh -huh. I was so jealous. I said, "Wow, what an amazing lineup!" Now, how do you stay grounded on a tour like that? Because you're you're playing early, you're playing in right. front of packed stadiums. You probably have anything you want thrown at you, and how do you stay grounded? Well. Who said we did? <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, I mean, we were able to pull it off and play every day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But, uh, but you know, we had our moments. And being on the bill, we were a new band. And being on the bill with legends like Scorpions and Van Halen, I mean, it went to your head a little bit. You took advantage of the situation. I mean, most of us did. Hmm. The, the booze, the, the drugs, especially the girls. I mean, it wasn't, uh, we weren't grounded the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I think when the whole thing ended, we were like, wow, that was a wild ride. Now we got to, you know, get serious again and realize that that's, that doesn't happen every day hmm. or, you know, every year or any time ever again. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we enjoyed all the, all the, uh, pitfalls of a, of a show <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> if you want to call them pitfalls, I'm not so sure that's the right word. Yeah. But uh, we now, just put it this way. We had a rock and roll good time. Yeah. Now, now, Rick, wasn't your first live show the first show at that tour as a band? Um, where were we? We were in, uh, where was that? Wisconsin? Yeah. Because I, I, don't, I don't think he actually played live until that tour started. I might be wrong well, now. The yeah. Well, you're right there. We, it was the first live gig in the States, but we had played 
uh, England, the UK, Scotland. We've done a bunch of dates over there for uh, six weeks to get ready, you know, playing live to get ready for. Ah. You're right. The first, the first show in the States was <laughs> Monsters of Rock. <laughs> and, yeah, that was quite a... Because we were just doing small clubs over there, Hammersmith Odeon and, you know, not huge venues, maybe 2,000, 3,000, 3,000 seat theaters and what have you. You know how it is. Yeah. Uh, not huge places, but, you know, going from from that small of a crowd to, like you said, 70,000 and up <laughs> was quite quite a shocker. Yeah. Did, did you get to hang with a, with a lot of the other bands that were on, on the Monsters of Rock? Well, we had known Mick Brown from Doc and James introduced me to him prior to us even uh, going out on the road. So we hung around with the Docking Boys more. And we also uh, kind of followed them touring over in England. So we, we had got to know them a little bit better than most. As far as sometimes after, after the shows, they'd have a big party in the hotel. Like they'd take up the whole, I wouldn't even say the penthouse, but like the whole nightclub part. And just for the bands and people with the, the laminates and what have you and, and the chicks and whatever. Uh, but we had dinner with, since Scorpions were on the same label as Team and Comp, we, we would have dinner with them. The promoter, promoter, promoters would pay, you know. Mm-hmm. I got to know Matias that, you know, pretty, pretty well during that period. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was hanging out with Eddie every night, you know, hey, Eddie, what's going on? <laughs> it wasn't like, I mean, he had his own, by then, he had his own entourage. I mean, he had his own thing. He was he was set. He was a rock star already, you know. Uh, Metallica, they were kind of a little weird. They did their own thing. Uh, they're not your traditional. Remember back then, everybody was the big hair and, the, you know, all that. The oh, yeah. And, yeah. And they come out in their black T-shirts. So they, they kind of, like, laughed at the way these other bands were. And not just at Monsters of Rock people bands, but, you know, just the 80s bands in general. So they did their own thing. They were a little different anyway, which was fine. Uh, but we always would run, you know, we'd either be sharing a, a plane ride with some of the guys and other bands. And so we we got to know everybody, but it's not like we hung out all the time. Did you get a chance to, to see a lot of the other bands on the bill? Because sometimes with oh, shows like, sometimes with shows like this, you guys are on a bus to the next venue before the other bands are even on the stage. Well, no, it didn't. It wasn't like that because the, the Monsters of Rock thing was uh, was Friday. We played Friday and Saturday, right? Two, mm-hmm. I guess two months of summer, and then we were booked to play Wednesday in the middle of the week. So there was no hurry for us to get out of town. It wasn't like we had dates back to back, day after day. So um, the like the Wednesday gig. We would stay in town maybe till Friday or Thursday night, and then fly to the next city. So that Wednesday, we would we would just hang out. Just I'd watch the bands all day long, and just hang out at the at the uh, the venue or wherever it was, and just it was just a you know great time. And then Saturday nights after Saturdays after the show, we wouldn't or maybe we we play Saturday and Sunday. Sundays we wouldn't fly out right away. We might stay in. New York for three more days as opposed to going off to Maryland or, or Florida or wherever we played next or Texas. So there was a lot of downtime after the shows before we head on to the next city. So there was plenty of time to to get corrupted 
<laughs> so did you start writing for In Your Face when you were on the road? Uh, we did, but not during Monsters. It was more after that when we started uh, doing more reasonable tours, like more mainstream, like just going out with uh, the Scorpions. We did a couple tours with them. Um, uh, I think we started putting things together about that time because we knew people were going to expect another album and they want it to be good. So I can't remember exactly how it was put together, but I think most of it was, uh, you know, during bus time going from city to city, you know, you'd be in the back of the bus and someone come up at the wrist and, and then Lenny, Lenny brought his whole recording system out so we could record demos, quality stuff in our hotel rooms. So, it was uh, it was a good situation in that regard. Mm. So, so Rick, how come you don't have any writing credits on the debut album? Because I didn't write on the debut album. <laughs> okay, I, did. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what he had submitted something, and it just didn't get you know approved. No, or... no, no. I was the last guy to join the band, and things had seemed like it was already pretty much in the direction, and everything was kind of in the can, if you will. Uh, so I didn't really, uh, you know, have a chance to participate or, or I wish I had, because like I said, that kind of music is right up my alley. Uh. I, I was had a chance to write a lot for Warren, but I was trying to change them from, you know, this eighties sound. I was gradually trying to shift them a little bit towards what was going on at the time. Uh. I remember when the grunt thing came out. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that just killed their third album, uh, talking about J.D. Lane's Warren stuff. And so during the 90s, I was trying to, I wrote like, I think we did four or five albums together. Mm. You, you would never know that because no one played, no one played them. Mm. I'm, um, <laughs> no matter, what, no uh, matter uh, what happened. Rick, I'm a big J. fan. Lane. I'm a big fan of the Ultraphobic album. Okay. So you could see the change of direction a little bit. Yeah. So talking about, getting laid and drinking and what have you was a little more serious. But yeah. I just felt like we had to do that. So it wasn't so like, just, so some bands like, uh, on Jovi, they just said, screw it. We're not going to play in the States until this point. They went to England and played all over the world and did their eighties music until, you know, it was acceptable. And I guess they didn't change their style or anything, huh. but the band, the warrant didn't want to travel. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to play out. They didn't want to play in the States. I said, well, if we're going to play, if we're going to fill in these rooms, we either got to play completely in the country in Kansas for all our dates or, you know, we have to change it up a little bit. Hmm. So it worked, but no matter what we did, Warren was considered, you know, cherry pie. That was the thing, you know, the label. The number one strip band song, strip song, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's, I've spoken to loads of musicians now over the years, and the one thing about a European audience is that they can be extremely loyal. But the problem, I think, right. with a, the problem, I think, with a lot of the '80s bands, and I've said this to a lot of the musicians, if you never bothered traveling over there in the '80s at the height of your fame, we can't yeah. we can't be loyal to you because Bon Jovi, what Bon Jovi did was they. They toured all over the world all the time. Yeah. So when the American market went down, 
they had the market in Europe and they had the market in Asia. Uh, And uh, none of the other bands did that. And I've had so many musicians say to me, I never realized we had a fan base over there. And I'm like, well, you should have probably looked. Right. You know, I I, I can't speak for, uh, you know, much how Kingdom Come, how all that went down, because we we kind of disbanded up to the second album due to the, you know some conflicts internal conflicts but from going back to Warren and I know it's not about Kingdom Come right now but uh, they just didn't want to they loved they didn't want to travel over there they just didn't want to do it and uh, I was used to playing over there uh, but you know what I mean they just got spoiled I guess mm. yeah so tell me about uh, picking Keith Olsen to produce this in your face record did you want to work with bob rock again um we were open to it but um i think he had again my memory i think he had other commitments and the timing we we wanted to get this record out for a, by a certain time or date i don't remember the actual logistics involved but i, I just know that a couple of other names came up and you know we met with keith and he was really into it, and plus he, you know, he had a history of of, of great bands, Foreigner and Pat Benatar, or whatever. Uh, he's got walls, a whole room full of gold and platinum albums. I mean, we call it the intimidation room. Whenever we have an argument, whenever we disagree with it, and he, you know, he and he'd be trying to present his point, and we'd try to make our point, and if we weren't getting anywhere. He'd say, "Hey, come here, come here," and he'd take us into this room. With all these, every all four walls is plastered with albums, uh, golden record, gold and platinum records. And he'd say, "Okay, now let's talk about this again. Who think who might know a little bit more about what we're talking about?" And then <laughs> he kind of look around and go, and he kind of just give in. So we call it the intimidation room uh, because you definitely lose the argument if you're in that room trying to make your point with him. But uh, he was a, he was a real fun to get along with. You know, young acting guy. It was, I think he was late forties at the time, which is young now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we were like maybe mid twenties, maybe late twenty. I don't know, somewhere in there. But uh, we fit in real well. That with each, you need the clown, and we needed someone with a sense of humor, and so it, it worked out real well. Hmm. Now it's I'm not going to harp on about the Zeppelin thing. But I know you had the backlash on the debut album with it, but look, looking back now at writing the In Your Face record, did that did that criticism give you a chip on your shoulder? To kind of no, it didn't. Well, it it, it it did it did Lenny, it didn't the rest of us. I I can't speak for everybody, but I remember talking with James. Uh, because Lenny, you know, he was the big cheese. Everybody wants to get an interview with, with the lead singer, and he was the main songwriter. So he um, he he would the interviewer would bring up Led Zeppelin and get all pissed off, and he he wouldn't accept the fact that we did sound a lot like Zeppelin. We were influenced by them, but he he wanted he, he couldn't just accept it. And I said I said Lenny, you need to embrace this. This is who who. We're being compared to one of the best rock and roll bands in the world at any time. And it just didn't get through to him. So he would like, but the, uh, 
promotion person or whoever was setting up the interviews and uh, they would have to be told with to the interviewer that don't bring up Zeppelin, just crazy stuff like that. And so naturally the, the interviewer would get, it would make him more want to bring it up. He was told not to bring it up. Hmm. So, uh, you know, like what's, what's the deal? Why, why is it offending to be called, you know, uh, it just got really bad. And again, I, I said, Lenny, if you just embraced it, they would leave you alone. They wouldn't keep comparing. They would just say, Oh, cool. Say, yeah, we do sound a lot like Zeppelin. We, we love that band and thanks for the compliment. And then they move on. It was like, you fight it and fight it and fight it. I don't know why I still to this day. Hmm. I don't know. Now, now the, the writing credits on In Your Face, they're a lot more spread out than they are on the debut record. Um, right. Did, did you guys have to push to get your ideas in, into Lenny or was he very open to him? Um, well, to be quite honest, it was a little of a struggle because, you know, it was his baby. He did start the band and, and, you know, he, he had to be open to, to other people's ideas. It, it, it just wasn't cool not to be. But I think the contributions we made, you know, fit in with his vision anyway. It didn't end up like, wow, what's this song over here? This was written by uh, Rick Starr. It sounds completely different than the rest of the record. So, you know, I, I wrote a couple things. Uh, I wrote, uh, you know, Perfect O. With, I don't know if you know what's, songs I did. Well, I got remember, I got I got the album in front of me. I can I can look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so that was my one of my major contributions, but that sounds very Zeppelin to me. And so that what I'm saying is, you know, the people's ideas they came up with eventually ended up sounding like you know, the original Kingdom Come with without all the guys. You know, it sounded like it was just meshed in just a different form, but it, it kept the kept the uniqueness of the of the Kingdom Come sound. Mm. So, so would the song start with Lenny, and then he'd give it to you guys to have input, or w- would it start from any one uh, of you? Most of them, but not all of them. You know, uh, Highway Six was that started with Danny playing that opening riff. Uh, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, the, the, was, the acoustic uh, fit at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And, yeah. Uh, Wild Rose was, I think, uh, JB had something to do with that thing. I contributed on, again, on uh, uh, Who Do You Love, you know, because I was playing keyboards at the time. But uh, some of the stuff, you know, by the time I got around to it, we were in a position, we didn't... Oh, I wrote a of that song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was it was like if you didn't speak up at the time, your name probably didn't get on the on the record. <laughs> yeah, or the song, I should say. Now, did you uh, hear any of these songs uh, submitted for the the debut album at all, or any of the ideas? No, no, I did not. Okay, all br- they were all brand new. I'm saying it didn't happen, but I, I personally didn't hear anyone's any of the songs that may not have made the first album that came on the second album. Uh, hmm. I, I don't know anything about that. Okay, so what was Keith Olsen's uh, input into this into the songs? Um, would he change a lot of the, a lot of the arrangements around, or did he more or less leave them alone? 
Um, well, what I remember is there was a few things that, to change, but more of what his contribution was like saying, okay, why doesn't the guitar do this line here over this place? It wasn't a, it wasn't a matter of just arrangement of the songs. That was just a minor part of his job or any producer's job. It was like hearing a, a riff and saying, okay, maybe, maybe we should add some bells here. Why don't we add a little keyboard part here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was his real, that was his real main influence is, is knowing what to add to the song sonically to, to make it better. Not necessarily, uh, you know, arranging the chorus. Okay, do the double chorus. I mean, he did that, but that's the least of his responsibilities was arranging. Mm. And what about Derek Shulman now? He, he's another guy I've interviewed. He's a, he was a musician himself. Did he come in? Sure. Did he come in? Was he more hands-on maybe than other A&R guys suggesting maybe? No, no he wasn't. He wasn't at all. Okay. I think I've saw him once in the studio. Wow. Well, he was a New York guy. Remember, we 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 uh, we recorded in L.A., so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But uh, and maybe Keith was playing him stuff in the evenings. And remember, I was I was a kid. Well, I was in my twenties, trying to you know be a rock and roll star. So I didn't really concern myself with those kind of things. Like, where's our A.N.R. guy? I was like, who cares where he is? Let's go out and party. <laughs> I, I didn't really care about things like now that I if I did it now I'd possibly be more connected in, in, in wanting to know what's all the facets of, of the recording but back then it was like wow I'm in a big rock and roll band let's go out hmm. let's get let's, let's have fun okay so again you know what I mean there's behind the scene things that were going on constantly that we were just not privy to okay but so, if we wanted to be odd, it just, we just didn't know. Mm. So, Rick, what was your contribution to Do You Like It? Uh, do You Like It? Do You Like It? Do You Like It? Uh, is my name on the record? Yeah. The yeah, there's a lot of people on it. There's you, Lenny, Danny, James, Johnny, and Marty. Dude, I can't remember. I don't know. I think maybe some of the words, and then there was a maybe a riff or so in the in the bridge. Okay. I just I just fogging out here. <laughs> okay. Now <laughs> th- some sort of cloud in my memory when it comes to that. Time. Now there's t- there's ten songs on the record. Um, um, it always fascinates me with ba- bands back then. They'll say they submit like twenty songs. Could, did you write more songs than were on the album, and just some of them never got recorded? We only we only submitted I think twelve, and two of them were just like, oh, we'll keep them for like. E side or you know an EP or some whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but no, the the ten that we actually went in and worked on in pre production were were the actual ones that went on the album. Okay, so yeah, most most bands, like you said, in my other bands, uh, we always you know we'd always write like you said twenty songs and then pick the best. You never know. You can't just stop after 10 thinking, okay, all these songs are great. Because they're not. They're usually not. You know, you're lucky if two of them are great or one. So you've got to keep going and then, you know, hopefully you'll get two or three that, that make it to the radio. You know, that's about, if you can get three songs deep into a record, you know, that's pretty good. 
That's really good. That's a place on on a radio station. Huh. That'd be awesome. What did you ever hear anything from the label that like they wanted or the radio single that there was pressure on you to write their hit single. No, but I, they pressured us into what we, what they wanted to release is like, I think it was a terrible mistake that, uh, loving you was the third release from in your face after, after another ballad, loving you is not a ballad, but it's very, you know, it's, it's not a high energy song. So they released that right after, uh, what love can be. I thought that was a terrible mistake. And maybe it was because it, that was the end of it. I mean, it, they didn't play it after that. They didn't play any more songs deeper. You know, you have your rogue radio stations that would play every cut or, you know what I mean? I'm talking about your traditional A&R stations that played, you know, the hits of the day or the time, you know, they would just play, do you like it? Then they then went on to, uh, what was the second song off that record? I can't remember, but uh, I'm talking about the first album again. Uh, get it, get it, get it on. Yeah, get it on. And, voila, and then for some reason, uh, the major, major push was that stupid loving you. No, it's not stupid in the sense of not being a good song. I just, it, it was just misplaced. I think it shouldn't have been the next song. Well, I think Rick back then, it was the ballad, the ballad, the ballad. You could put whatever else you wanted on the album as long as you had a ballad. Yeah, but, but we just did what love can be. And so I, I don't understand why you put two back-to-back mellow songs together to release the public, but they did. I think they should have come back with the, with a high energy, you know, something, something else. Hmm. So c- compare the way Keith... Olson produces to Bob Rock. What, what's the biggest difference between the two of them? Um, again, I wasn't totally privy to Bob Rock's. You know, I'd, I'd record some stuff, but I really wasn't as nuts and bolts in there. I was the last guy on board, so I really can't give a good answer to that. If you know what I mean, I can't really compare them because I, I wasn't around Bob like I was key. Hmm. You know what I mean? I just didn't see all the detail that went into to that. Again, I wasn't around most of the time when he was doing the mixing and so it's it's not a it's not it's like apples and oranges. I can't compare compare the two. Hmm. So did Keith record the band live, the rhythm section live and then overdubbed the guitars or did he, did he try and get a basic track with the four of you and then add the vocals and the solos later? How, how did he work it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we did the, the drums and then we had just one guitar and bass and we, we didn't do it live. I mean, live, we did it from the control room. It wasn't like we are in the, in the big, big, big room with the drums. And then after the drums were down, then we started completely over and relayed, laid down everything else, you know, one by one. Huh. I did all the rhythm guitar on, on the, in your face. And then Danny did all the leads except for, uh, overrated. I did, I played lead on that song. That was the only one. Okay. Now I interviewed Keith Olson about three or four years ago and Hello. I picked a lot of the albums that he did. And this is yeah. one of the ones I mentioned. And 
he told me straight off the bat that Lenny Wolf was incredibly tough on you in the studio playing guitar for some reason. I don't know why. Do you remember it like that at all? No, he he means Danny. He was tough on Danny. He was ah. tough on. He much the mix. He got him mixed up. Yeah. No, uh, Danny. He was just. Well, it, it, no one wants to play. Look, if you if you're like I said, he was a solo guy. So the rhythm sections are are written the way they're written. You can't ad lib or change them. You know, it's not like you're you're free free for me or thoughts and like a solo, right? Mm-hmm. So the rhythm is done. It's, it's, you go to, it's concrete. Here's the way the chords go, blah, blah. Now when you solo, that's a whole different thing. It's part of what you, what you're feeling, your, your, your mood, your fashion for the instrument, all that stuff comes together when you do a solo. You're not reading, reading notes. It's just coming from your heart. And so when someone tells you, oh, no, don't play that, and I'm talking about what happened with Danny, don't play that. Play these notes. So you're taking that away from you. The lead guitar player is supposed to be able to do what he wants, freeform it, ad-lib, and, and just wail and not think about what he's playing. And Lenny would go, okay, oh, no, no, I don't like that. Uh, play that. Uh, play these three notes together. And, and it takes, by the time you chop a solo up in, by doing that, the lead guitarist is like, this doesn't even feel like me. It's like, it's his soul. I'm just copying it over into the, you know, a machine. So that, that was the major conflict. Major, okay. major, major. Okay. Yeah. So, so did, did Keith not step in there and say, I, I think this sounds great? At times he would. At times he'd just leave the room. Lenny was not the easiest guy to get along with or work with. Uh, I know you've heard stories, so it's not like I'm, you know, letting the cat out of the bag here. Hmm. Uh, right? Yeah. You have heard stories. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be the first one to ever say that. No, no. James has told me I've heard stories. Okay. So, uh, I don't know if it's a German upbringing or the West upbringing or whatever it is up thing, you know, whatever his deal was, um, he was not very forgiving. He wanted things done his way usually and wanted them done his way quickly. So if you weren't up to snuff on his same level of thinking, you you would hear about it. Uh, you know, other times he was great, but when it came when it was in the studio working, he was very rigid, and it wasn't that much fun. <laughs> it mm. should have been like other. I've done other albums since then, and had a blast. Just had a blast recording. Uh, I, I I don't know if you know, but I was in a band called Wild Horses after. Yeah. Uh, with James. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With and Keith Olsen did that record as well. Mm-hmm. And we just had the best time. Uh, you know, we it was just a great time. We, after we record, we go all we all go out together, and we go to El Torito's, drink Cadillacs. I mean, not every night, but uh, it was just a, a great time. But anyway, get back to Lenny. Um, uh, yeah, he was very rigid and, and wanted things his way. So it was hard for him to loosen up, say, Lenny, Lenny, let the guy play, let the kid, you know, let him do his thing. And because he had this vision of how everything was supposed to be, and it didn't always work out that way. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it just came with the territory. Yeah, you see, uh, you see, Rick, here's the thing I don't get. Now, I'm on the outside looking in, right? I'm thinking, okay, yeah. you're you're all writing the songs more as a band now. 
you're, you're probably working up the songs in pre-production right. and, then, and then you go into the studio and Lenny has been really heavy handed there. I'm like, the two of them don't make, you know what I mean? They're, they kind of contradict well, each no, other. I, I, that's, what that's what I'm saying. It, uh, um, see, well, in pre-production, we would have, that's where we'd butt heads to. By the time we got to in the studio, all that shit, you know, all that stuff had been worked out. Hmm. I'm talking mostly the problem came when soloing because, you know, in, in pre-production you're playing a solo, but you're not playing it the same way every time. You're you're experimenting. At least that's you know I can't speak for Dandy. When I would do pre-production with Warren or somebody, you know, I'd play it different every time and try to figure out which which feel felt the best, which notes sounded the best, and you know just change it up. So he had to go through the most uh, rigorous deal with uh with the recording process than any of us okay i just got yeah. one i got i got one more question rick um okay. when i bought kerrang magazine in i think it was 1990 they had a section in it saying that the four e guys left the band and it was literally all at the same time and um when i interviewed james he said he could see that the writing was on the wall that and but the experience for you leaving um you know, was it all, was it sudden for you or, you know, what are your memories of that? I remember us playing, supporting the King of, uh, the second record. We were out there somewhere and I won't really go into detail. I mean, maybe in some other interview we, we can delve into, but Lenny did some unbelievable, unbelievable in the negative sense, things out there uh -huh. that I, I it just wasn't in my nature to do, like to the promoters. I mean, there, I could go into one gig that we were we were playing with Warren. We were we were co-headlining with them on a little run, and it was during the afternoon somewhere in North Carolina. It was during the summer, having a blast. Our bus pulled in, and something pissed a Lenny off in the catering rooms. I mean, it's almost sounds spinal tapish, <laughs> but something small pissed him off. And he goes, we're not playing here. And he told our publicist is with this. And she goes, you can't do this. He goes, I can do anything I want. And, and we pulled out of doing that gig. I mean, it was, it would have been fun. Warren was already on stage when we, when our bus pulled up and they were having a blast. I mean, they were, you know, they were high on the charts were rising on the charts at this time. Uh -huh. They were, you know, they were the good-looking boys, you know, the typical hair band with the good looks, right? Yeah. So, so they had all these chicks there, and we were going, this is, is going to be an awesome gig, and, and we pulled out. And promoters, it's a small world. They, they they know everything that's going on. And that's what I think when James and I got together later in, in the hotel room and said, man, this is, we see the writing on the wall. I think that's where that came from. Because his actions and his attitude it was self-destruction. And we felt like we didn't want to go down the you know, sinking ship with uh -huh. him. So we kind of decided first before JB and Danny, uh, I, I said, James, I, I, I'm not ready to keep doing this. I, I said, it's not fun anymore. I said, it's such an early band and, and he's, he's already made it unfun in the amount of time that we've been together, huh. which was like three years, right? Uh -huh. uh, so 
we gave him a notice at the end of one of our tours. And I think, I don't think, uh, JB and Danny wanted it to end, but I think, I think Lenny wanted it to be a clean slate. Like I'm going to go back to uh, Germany and start over that yeah. kind of a thing. Fresh. I don't think, I know James and I started the ball, but I don't think Danny and JB quit like whatever you heard. Hmm. I don't think it was like, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just a paragraph in Kerrang that said that the four of you had left the band. Yeah. It's like, that's what the word was out there. Like we all quit at one time, but it wasn't really, really hmm. like that. So finally, you know, yeah, it was like the vice president of Polygram called me up and said, Please don't leave. And he's begging me because we wow. have commitments to tour. Yeah. This was uh, Dick Asher. But he was Polygram's second in command there. And uh, he he said, we have this giant tour set up in Europe. You can't leave. Uh, and I said, I said I will stay if James does. I said, I, I can't envision going out there with starting over with, with, uh, uh, with another drummer. That I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, you have this camaraderie going. At least you had somebody there that, you know, James and I grew up together. So yeah, so and James couldn't be talked into it. So I said, if he's not involved, I'm not involved. And that's yeah. the way it ended. Hmm. So final question for me, Rick. Um, yeah. Of the first two albums, do you think In Your Face is better than the debut? Uh, no, I can't say that. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I I don't I think they're equal. They're different, but I think they're they both stand on their own merit. I, I couldn't say that one's better than the other. Okay, okay. I prefer the yeah, second. I prefer the second one, personally. Oh uh, well, well, that's fine. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and there'll there'll be the next guy that interviews me that'll prefer the first one, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. At least, hey, at least we're still talking about the band. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We gotta get, we gotta get the buzz going again because we're playing. Uh, we're, we're back out playing, so I want uh, our fans to know that come and see us that uh, we're alive and kicking. Sound mm. better than ever uh, with Keith, and uh, it looks like we when you hear us, it, it, you'll you'll think that we never stopped playing together. Oh well, I've heard you, and you're you're still great. Okay. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah. it. So, Rick, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you go. Have a good, have a nice weekend. Thanks for talking to me. You too, man. Thanks for right. the call and good luck. All right. Take care of yourself. All right. Bye. Bye. Hello. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? I'm good, Rich. How are you doing? I'm very good. Um, so where are you now? Where are you based? I'm in Pittsburgh, oh, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's where you're from, isn't it? United Snakes of America. Yeah, yeah. I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Well, you can tell from my accent I'm not from Boston, though. No, you're from, uh, let me guess, don't tell me. <laughs> you want me to keep talking? Like, want me to keep talking? Like Ireland. <laughs> yes, you are correct. How awesome are my ears? Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm originally from yeah, I'm from Ireland. I moved here about nine years ago. You didn't say that much, and I knew it wasn't uh, England; it was Ireland. So I, there you go. I've had people tell me I'm from England, Scotland, France, uh, Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> you get well, you know, uh, where's Lars from? He's from he's Danish, right? He's, yeah, he's Danish. Yeah, he you you Danish and Irish do sound a tiny bit similar 
Mm. A little bit. They do. They, yeah. It sounds more like Irish than it sounds like English or German. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, anyway? Did you get a chance to talk much with Lars when you're on the Monsters of Rock uh, shows in '88? Um, yeah, I think I probably I spent the most amount of time with. Uh, well, you know, it was crazy, but <laughs> the least amount of time with Van Halen guys. Yeah, uh, Michael Anthony being the exception. He's just regular guy. He, he wasn't like a, an inaccessible rock star guy. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was he was very hospitable, um, and the other guys were just so freaking famous that like they were surrounded by like a crowd of bodyguards, and you know, I couldn't just go walk into their trailer. You know, there was like they were kind of protected. You know, but um, Lars and I talked a lot at the Rainbow. Okay. We we used to sit and drink the rainbow. We, we, me and Lars and and uh, Kirk. Oh, nice. And whoever else was hanging out. Yeah. Mm. Well, now, when I spoke to I spoke to Rick Steyer last week. Um, one of the main uh, the main reason I have you on is um, we're going to talk about the thirtieth anniversary of In Your Face. If you can yeah. believe, if you can oh, believe, okay. if you can believe that. <laughs> but um, yeah. So when Rick said that. He got on really well with the Dawkins guys, especially Mick Brown. Now, I've also interviewed James uh, a couple of times in the past, and he said he could you could see the Dawkins band imploding on that tour. Did did you m- remember seeing that at all? Um, not really. I I know that uh, that was a that was a high pressure situation for I think everybody that was on it. It was so insane. It was like doing Woodstock every other day or, you know, two days in a row and then two days later. And um, it was nonstop traveling and partying and playing gigs and baking in the heat of that. There was a drought and a heat wave that year Mm -hmm. in the States. And it was just insane. Everybody was kind of in this like sort of happily fried state it was just a non-stop just completely insane but uh i remember mick, mick brown was always really really nice and and you know don don i heard oh man don you know he's a real asshole or he's a dick you know whatever mm-hmm. he, was the, he was the greatest i love don talking he, he and i got along great i was thinking where did this r- rumor start that like he was a jerk or something like you know, maybe because I'm from Pittsburgh and I'm also a jerk. <laughs> we, we got along, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, those guys were all great. Jeff Jeff was real nice, Jeff Wilson. Yeah. And, I'm, uh, George I'm, was kind of aloof, but, you know, he's a guitar player and he's got to be a guitar hero. And there's a lot of pressure on him. And, and you know, that, that all of us guitar players tend to, we come across as being real arrogant and stuff when really what it is is we're probably just tired of being under a microscope and being expected to be gods all the time and not just like guys that like to play, you know? Mm. Danny, would you be someone that it, you'd actually go up to these guys and break the ice and introduce yourself or would you wait for them or, or, or an intermediary to do it? I would always just, you know, barge my way into everything. I, I, I never worried about that uh, pretense or anything. I, I would just kind of go like, well, we're on tour together. Why would I, you know, 
there was that thing of like we were the young upstarts or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. We were we were the opening act and all that. But um, no, I always I felt like I always felt like we're in this together. I belong there, so I, I was never intimidated by that. Hmm. Now, when I spoke to Rick last week, he said that the first show you did in the U.S. was the opening day of the Monsters of Rock tour. Uh, you must have been really nervous before that show because there's probably what seventy thousand people there. Actually, it was only thirty-three thousand. Oh, that's all. That's nothing, then a breeze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the biggest show I'd ever done in my life. Yeah. And, uh, I think pretty much everybody in the band. Is, yeah. And um, it. We were so well rehearsed, and we had a bunch of dates under our belt from ten weeks in uh, the UK and. Uh, four weeks in Germany or something. We we had just done, actually the total I think was 10 weeks in Europe to, start to get our feet wet. And um, the biggest crowd, that was with Magnum, by the way, Wings of Heaven tour. And um, we uh, we got to the States, our first show was 33,000 people. And, and we were really well rehearsed. You could have thrown a grenade on the stage and it could have gone off and we wouldn't have stopped playing. <laughs> and and, and uh, I just remember like I actually when that when they cut the house sound and the, everyone knew the band was coming on and they went <sighs> you know hmm. it was like my knees just I had no control over it my knees went <laughs> just like short <laughs> like I just got pulled over by a cop with a kilo of blow in my car <laughs> I mean it was like my, my knees just went <laughs> you know and hmm. then we went out we did the show and I can't I couldn't tell you one thing about about that show I was just total autopilot it was definitely intimidating but we were like soldiers you know our, it was like when a soldier's training kicks in and you just do the right thing it's literally like that we had we had played so much together hmm. already that you know we were fine we got to the end of the show and it was over and it's like oh it's over okay great <laughs> yeah let's, kind of like a blur yeah Let, let's talk a minute danny about now um yeah what, what you have Keith St. John singing, and I was at one of the shows you did at the end of last year, and I thought he was—I mm-hmm. thought he nailed it. He was brilliant. Um, what, yeah. what was the what was the first song you did in rehearsal with him? Uh, and we, did you have any trepidation of doing it with Keith? Like, because I don't know whether you knew him or not as a singer beforehand. Well, I trust James implicitly, you know. Yeah, and he—he uh, he said the guy's total lead singer. He's got lead singer's disease, but in a good way. And he's like, uh, you know, he's really easygoing and down to earth, like a almost like a flower child sort of a personality. And that was right in my wheelhouse. I loved hearing that. And then uh, when we got together and we played, I don't remember a particular song. I remember thinking like, um, you know, he sounds great. I love his voice. I, I wasn't sure he. It, it took him a minute just to kind of, um, I think that he, he did it kind of like I would do, where it's like, let's get together and just wing it and then see where it goes. And we had to kind of nudge him a little bit here and there, like, you know, to maybe be just a tiny bit more true to uh, the melodies of the songs, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because the singer wants to put his own stamp on it, and that's that's great. That's that's inevitable. That That happens anyway, just because you're a different person you know, than Lenny. So, um, I was completely really well pleased with everything he did. And it, it immediately, 
the next rehearsal, it was better. And then the next one after that, it was even better. And then by the time we hit the road, I was, you know, we were playing together on stage and it was just great. You know, he was, um, I was really happy with how he, uh, performed and how he was into it. And, um, and the vibe was really, really good on stage, like really relaxed. And we were just having fun. We all love each other. And it was, it was more fun than I could have ever imagined, you know, hmm. more fun, more fun than it was before. Hmm. Had you, had you given up hope of doing Kingdom Come shows again? Because when I spoke to James a couple of years ago, he said you did try a, a few years ago and, and try and make it happen, but it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. So had, had you given up hope that you'd actually do Kingdom Come again? Or, or did you think to yourself, well, well maybe I hadn't, I hadn't given up hope, but I had kind of given up uh, counting on it as something that was really going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't plan my life around it. Hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, well, it, you know, I didn't put all my eggs in that basket. Yeah. So Danny, when is the last time you played those songs? Um, when I spoke to Rick, Before he, that, you mean? yeah, when I, yeah. Cause when I spoke to Rick, I said that he played the songs, uh, since he left the band and he said when he was teaching, he'd play some of the songs. So he'd actually played them since he left. Had you mm-hmm. actually had you actually played them since you left the band at all? Uh, very little. I mean, you know, when I was practicing, maybe I would I would play some of it just to, um, you know, not really though, not not much at all, not not complete songs. No, I had no reason to. I didn't wasn't playing with anybody who knew the songs or anything like that, and I wasn't doing my own like cover band and covering ourselves and you know doing it like that or anything. It was uh. Pretty much in, in a in a band situation with a full band, I hadn't played those songs in thirty years. Wow! You know, but but they never left me because, like I said earlier, we played those songs thousands and thousands of times in rehearsals and on on shows, and and, and that never left me. It's like muscle memory. It was like literally like riding a bike, hmm. uh, you know, or roller skating or something. You know, you, you just come. It just immediately came right back, and and. With James on the drums, that was immediately made it feel like I, I actually said um, after one of our shows this last time out, I said to Rick, and he agreed with me. I said we were playing such and such song, and I looked at James, and I was standing there, and and we were wailing, and and I I honestly I felt exactly the same as I did thirty years ago. I didn't feel older, I didn't feel slower, my legs weren't tired. You know, I mean, I wasn't like you know, running out of breath or, I mean, I felt it was literally like music is amazing. You know, it's, um, it, it can transport you. Like it was like, uh, it was like it was 30 years ago. Nothing. I felt exactly the same. Hmm. It was amazing. Yeah. So, so Danny, had you kept in touch with all the guys in the band after you left or was it, was there some of them you just lost track of completely? No. Um, not really. I would, uh, um, every once in a while I would send Lenny an email or something, you know, just about something dumb, you know, um, hmm. not like, Hey, let's put the band back together. You know, <laughs> and just, just sort of like, you know, like you would your family, I guess. Like, you know, we're, we're sort of like family. Um, and, uh, and James, you know, I, I once, um, actually I kind of lost touch with, with Rick and James. Uh, but not JB, uh, just because, you know, phone numbers change over time and, 
people get cell phones and they lose the phone. Then, then I kind of um, became once the, once I got on the internet in around the year two thousand, I started seeking them out, like trying to find them and then you know contact them. And I I got back in touch with them and we would have conversations, you know, texting or instant message, you know, and just talking and. You know, we we never stopped loving each other like brothers. That's for sure. Mm, yeah. mm. One of the things about, about in your we'll t- talk about in your face now for a few minutes, Danny. I interviewed Keith Olson a few years ago, right? And mm-hmm. we, we did a career chat with him, and I talked about the Kingdom Come record. Now mm-hmm. he told me at the time that Lenny was brutal on Rick, but Rick said last week that Lenny was really tough on you when it came, and he said he was really hard on you. Uh, was yeah. he was he like that from the first record, or did, was did it manifest itself more on the second one? Um, he it wasn't any particular record. That's just Lenny's personality, you know. He's a he's a, a hard taskmaster, you know. He's like a um, he's like a drill sergeant or something, and he doesn't mince words. And he's you know, and and sure, you know, uh, I said drill sergeant because. I know a guy, he's a harmonica player, he's brilliant, and uh, I've been playing with him off and on. And, um, you know, he was like that, too. Uh, just like, he would say shit on stage, it was unbelievable. And, you know, like, like he would call you out, like, you you fuck your girlfriend like that, I'll take her off you and stuff. And like, man, what the fuck? And, uh, you know, and, uh, and then we sat around and, we, you know, having a beer or whatever after the show. And he, he told me about his drill sergeant, you know, his actual drill sergeant when he was in the army hmm. and, uh, and how he hated the guy more than anything until, until it was like, okay, class dismissed. You go and you're in the army now. And then years later he fought back to his drill sergeant and he had a picture of his mom and his dad and his grandchildren and his drill sergeant on his bookcase in his uh, dining room. You know, like, like this guy was part of his family forever. And he, and the guy probably literally beat the crap out of him, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, you were, when someone calls you out and, and pushes you like that and, and, you know, tries to draw out your best, they might not, you might not like their methods at the time, but unless you're a, a complete asshole and ignore their contribution to your life, and when you look back on it, you have to say, thanks. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, really, honest to God. I totally, yeah, he was hard on me, but that's just his method. You know, mm. it's not, you know, if you want to watch big ships, you got to go where the water's deep, right? And if, uh, you know, you got to kick some ass every once in a while to get what you want. And, mm. and I'm, I I think that's good. He was, I don't, like, I'm, I was a little surprised that Rick said, uh, actually, he was really tough on Danny, you know? I mean, like, I don't remember that so much, you know? Mm. Yeah. I remember getting a little a little miffed at times, you know, like, come on, man, you know, you hired me because I can play blues. Just let me play, you know? Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, to this day, I, I have a lot of respect for Lenny, you know? And I don't resent at all how he treated me. Yeah, no, no. Rick did say he was tough and James said he was tough in the studio as well when I talked to him mm-hmm. um, compare Bob Rock now to Keith Olsen as producers though how different are they well they're both great um, I would say that uh, 
Keith Olsen had a had a man. They're they're both so similar to my reaction to them. You know, um, Bob was a little more. Um, Keith more or less was like he let us do what we wanted to do. He didn't he didn't arrange our songs and stuff like that as much as uh, Bob did. Bob would pick everything apart and go try this, but make this part shorter and add this and you know he dissected our songs and over and over and you know he really uh, was very meticulous about uh, you know he had a lot of ideas about how we should arrange things and how long solos should be and where we should do solos and all that kind of stuff. Keith was more like uh, he was more like an engineer and a brilliant engineer and he just got a really great sound and we laughed a lot with Keith. Keith has a really great sense of humor. Not that Bob doesn't. Bob, Bob's kind of a serious guy. So, you know, he's serious and, and sort of calm and studious about about it. Hmm. Keith is very intelligent also, but was also uh, more laid back and easygoing, and we laughed a lot, you know? Hmm. I remember just la- falling out of our chair laughing, you know? Hmm. <laughs> like, now, if, now, if you got someone like Bob, who's who's suggesting ideas, do this, change this, and then you've got someone uh, like Lenny, like, w- would Lenny clash more with Bob than he would with Keith? Would, would Lenny, pardon me? Would he would clash, clash? Would he clash with him with Bob? Because he, he, Bob has given more. You know, he, Keith is letting you be the band, whereas Bob has given ideas saying you should change this and do this. And you've got you said that Lenny was pretty tough on, on you guys. So would let yeah, let you know, not with the producers, Lenny. It was like they were um, co-captains. You know, mm. that, uh, you know. I I don't think that um, I don't think that. Uh, it was really that much different. You know, uh, Lenny reacted the same way. He was, he was very serious and and they were very serious and, you know, Mm. it was not really much difference that I could see between how they work together. Yeah. Now, now when you're doing pre-production for, for the in your face record or even the first album and you're working up the songs, would, would you have the solos more or less worked up before you went into the studio to record them? No, I I like to uh, I like to know what chords I'm playing over, and I I might you know I just need to know where I am, sort of like a an outline, mm-hmm. and uh, and then um, I just go for it, and I, I went for like an emotion. I would let the the emotion of the song up to that point propel me, and then I would play a solo, and then you know, and then I play another one, and you know, and then we pick the parts up, up that we like, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, you make a composite and sometimes you do a solo beginning to end without any, uh, second takes or anything, you know, that's, that's my preference actually. Mm, mm. Do you think that's, that might be where maybe you clashed a little bit with Lenny that he wanted everything prepared beforehand and he wanted to know what was happening and you, you went in without the solos really prepared and he didn't really mm. like that. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, there's uh, um, he's a German and he's very disciplined. You know, hmm. and he, he he wants everything to be perfect, and I, I'm more of a like wing it kind of a guy. And you know, um, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So wh- when you were writing the In Your Face record, um. Did you guys sit down at all and say, right, 
we're going to go maybe in a little bit of a different direction. More guys are going to contribute to the songwriting than the debut album, or did you just write songs? Well, I think uh, Lenny needed us more on the, on the first record. We took it took like six months from the time the band got together to the time the record was handed in. Um, it was probably five months. Hmm. And, uh, on the second one, we were in between tours and stuff, and we did it in like I think a lot less time, like maybe six weeks, something like that, eight weeks. And hmm. and we 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 all contributed ideas, and we had. You know, um, I think Lenny maybe actually needed us more on that second record. Mm. Did you have a say in uh, who produced any of the records, the first two? No. No say at all. So, you, like, when did you find out you were getting Keith Olsen? Did the manager just say, right, you're working with Keith and not Bob? Or I don't remember, to be honest with you. I don't remember the moment, but I remember when I heard what his track record was, you know, he'd recorded some of my favorite records and most influential records like Double Vision, Foreigner, and and I had you know a lot of respect for Fleetwood Mac, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I'm a guitar player for King of Guns, that's mm. just a great band, you know, great songs and just they're Fleetwood Mac. I mean, holy shit, he produced Rumors, you know, and um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Mm. And um, once I heard that, uh, you know, I totally trusted. Uh, everybody in our organization to make the right decision. I wasn't like, no, I want to use Keith Olsen. I want to use someone else, you know? It was like, yeah, whatever you can say, guys, you know? I mm. just, yeah. yeah. Now, was it easy to get the sound that you wanted on your guitar for In Your Face? Because, you know, with Bob Rock, he's probably trying to get a different sound and you're going in thinking, right, I want the same sound for the second record. But do you remember having any teething problems trying to get the, the tone and the sound well, that you wanted? Actually, no, not at all, because I was using the same guitar most of the time and uh, that I'd used on the first record, mm-hmm. like 80% of everything I recorded, probably. And, um, and Keith had some great amps, uh, and I had my amps, and I had this one Red Marshall that I really loved. It's all over that second album. And uh, Keith, Keith didn't really um, have many suggestions about uh, my guitar sound. He, he pretty much yeah, he would he would maybe make a suggestion to change a little thing here or there, but um, there wasn't a conscious effort to make it the same or change it. It was just that sounds awesome. Let's use that or for this song. Maybe it should be, you know, maybe a little cleaner or more fucked up sounding or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, did. And, uh, yeah, it was, that was um, Keith, you know. I would defer to him and say, okay, cool, yeah, I love it, you know? Yeah. Did you get much of a chance to sit down with Keith and pick his brain about some of the albums he did in the past? Mm, not much. I don't think so. I, I, I kind of wish I had, you know? Mm-hmm. Um just working, working with him, um, you know, it was just watching guys like that. They're just so brilliant. Uh, you know, I learned more, I think, just by doing it with him than I could have learned by asking him about what was it like, uh, you know, uh, smelling um, Stevie Nicks every day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when she walked into the studio, what was that like? How did she smell? How did she smell good? <laughs> you know. <laughs> was I might have asked him that. I don't know. Yeah, was um. Let's move. Let's move on, Danny. With the few minutes I've left, um, right. did uh, did Keith like to work quickly? 
Yeah, I think everybody does. You know, if you if you uh, if you linger too long on things, you know, you you get mired in in something. If, if something's not working, you just like you know what. We're, we did 10 guitar solos. It's not working. Let's just do another song. Go to another song. We'll come back to this tomorrow. When you do that, like the next day you come in, you go, boom, you nail it in one take. Hmm. You know, you have to know when to stop flogging a dead horse. You know, sometimes you, that's what producers know. They just sense those kind of things. Like, well, this is starting to kind of, let's just go, let's pull out the other song, you know? Yeah. So, Danny. Now, all of a sudden, you get inspired again. You know? <laughs> so, Danny, if I've got to pick your brain here, uh, can you remember what the hardest solo was to nail on In Your Face that you just really couldn't get it the way everyone wanted? Ooh. Uh, I, I actually think that on that record, the solos were pretty easy. But the one that has the. Uh, um, I, I would have to say maybe Stargazer. The last track, okay. Yeah, and and um, and um, Wild Rose. Just like Wild, Wild Rose, Rose is very Wild Rose wasn't hard to capture or do. It wasn't planned out. That was a, a case of okay, this is a bluesy song. Danny Greenlight, go, and that that solo is pretty much one take, beginning to end. It's, it's it is entirely one one pass one performance. So mm. you know some solos you pick your brain and you know other other ones you don't. Well, I I would have to remember. I'd have to say probably Stargazer was the um, was 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 you know a challenge putting that together. And um, um, who do you love? Okay, I love that song. Brilliant song. I love playing that solo. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic yep. song. Um, when you went and played those songs live, did you get a chance to maybe embellish the solos a little bit, or did you stay true to Not the record? Not really. Lenny, Lenny wasn't really happy when I did that. He wanted me to. He wanted it to sound like the record. He said, you know, people pay to, they want to hear the record. And, you know, when you, unless you're going to do something amazing, you know, which I I think I'm capable of, but, uh, you know, I just kind of played it a little bit by the book. And I actually do enjoy trying to, you know, the people who bought the record and then they paid for a ticket and they're in the audience, they, they, they imagine it a certain way and they remember certain parts of your solo. I think they, I still ask the average person, they would say they like it when you play it exactly the same way. Musicians say, oh, that's boring. But I don't, I'm not so sure about that. But, in this incarnation of Kingdom Come, I do enjoy, uh, you know, changing things and just I, I, I add to what I remember as the solos I did before, and I, I, uh, um, you know, it, it's it's really fun because I'm allowed to uh, express my emotions more and put put more feeling into it and and create on the spot. You know, it's not just like being a, an automaton. You know. Hmm. Now, final question, Danny. Before I leave you go, Rick didn't give me an answer to this. Um, of the first um, two, of the first two records, which one is your favorite? Do you have any kids? Uh, I've got a boy and a girl. Which one's your favorite? <laughs> I told him which record was my favorite out of the first two. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, that's my answer. No, I'm kidding. Um, I oh man, I really love them both. Um. 
I think, oh man, if I had to pick one, like the world was only allowed to have one of those records, I'd have to say the first one. I picked the second one. Really? Yeah, but I'm a fan. I didn't play on it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, the, I don't know what went into the two of them. And you, you, know, you might be talking about musicianship wise. I think we definitely gelled as a band. We we sound more like a seasoned band and less like a studio project on the second record. Yeah, we sound more, more, um, more like we sound like a band that has 300 dates under its belt. You know. Hmm. I think there's it's more, there's definitely a maturity in the second record. I think. Definitely, I think so too. Yeah, so, so that, I'll, I'll have to say my answer is both. No, both. That, that, I, uh, hmm. I, as far as my guitar playing goes, yeah, what that's, love can be is on the first record. Yeah, I think that that pretty much nails it. I think that's a classic, and it's it's an epic type song. And I, you know, I'm gonna have to go with the first record. Okay. All right, Danny. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've now spoken to four fifths of the band. Good, keep going. Um, yeah, Who well, you got to talk to now, JB? Uh, no, no, the only guy I haven't spoken to is Lenny. Oh, he's not in the band now. No, I've, nev- I've never spoken to Keith. I've spoken to Doug Aldridge, who plays in Burning Rain with him, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't spoken to Keith. Oh. So the next, I know you're working on music, so, you know, whenever that comes out, I'll probably have Keith on for that. Cool. All right, awesome. Dan- All right, Danny, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Have a good rest of the night. You too, man. Thanks, right. Richie. All right, no problem. Take care. Bye. All right, bye. So there you go, uh, Richie's chat with uh, Danny Stag of Kingdom Come, and it's interesting, you know, with with the both interviews that you did, that, that neither one of the guys had a had an easy time deciding which album they liked the best. Of the I mean, first ultimately, two. they both settled on the same album of the first two, um, but it was in, it was interesting that it, they almost their indecision almost mirrored each other. I I thought that. One of them would have picked the second one because they had more of an input into it. I, I did. Um, I, I thought that too. The first record is, I'm not saying it's a Lenny Wolf solo project, but if you look at the writing credits, it is. Um, yeah. If you look at the writing credits, Lenny wrote most of it. Yeah. Um, there's some co-writes on it. The second one is more of a band, mm-hmm. a band effort. Sounds, sounds different to the, to the debut. Yeah. I prefer the second one. I told I told both of them I prefer the second one. Um, the first album is is brilliant as well, but there's just something about the second one that it's more varied. I think the songwriting is consistently better on it. Mm. Um, it's an album I've loved since it came out. I, I, again, I never got to see the band play um, to play live, and when Danny actually said that. They toured in England with Magnum. I was like, fuck. <laughs> and of course, and that's another show that never mm. made it to Ireland. But man, that would have been a fucking killer bill. Mm. You would have had Magnum on the Wings of Heaven album and Kingdom Come on their first couple of records. I'm like, man, fuck. <laughs> that would have been an incredible bill. But um, yeah, James Kotak, big shout out to James. Um, he, he always he, takes care of us. He does. Um, I text him and he came through. No problems, and um, I, I originally wanted said to, da- to Danny I was going to do half an hour. I probably could have talked to him for longer, but um, I didn't want to overdo it, you know. And when you're talking to someone about the same record, sometimes when you talk for too long, you can repeat your, you can get the same answers, and 
you can you end up editing a lot of it out anyway yeah i don't think i got that with rick and danny did um no but you did it was interesting that that and you know think back to the episode we came back off break and we talked about remembering about the album that you you did ask some similar questions and in some cases the answers um varied a little bit in in particular um when you asked about the choice of producer yeah yeah there mm-hmm. was, was definitely a uh, a difference in, in remembering about that. And, well, and maybe it, and I thought about this too, and I, I don't know, I'm fucked in the head to actually like walk away thinking about this days later, but it may have also been of, of how much each person was involved in that whole part of it. And when you think about how Danny was more like, okay, it's time to do solos, get in here and do them. So he might've been out of the loop on some of that other initial stuff, just because of that was kind of his role in the band. Well, you look at a band like Kingdom Come back then and look at the credits. Yeah. Le- Lenny is the leader of the band. Yeah. Marty Wolf is the manager. Yeah. Marty is Lenny's brother. Yeah. So straight away, <laughs> who's pulling the strings? Right. Um, do the other guys have input? Sure. Yeah. How much input is actually gets through? That's that's another thing entirely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Uh, but it, this was cool to actually have... You know, sequential episodes, two different guys, two of the guys that, you know, that aren't like the main guy in the band as well and getting their views. And so it was, to me anyways, kind of interesting to to hear, you know, the differences and stuff on that. And and um, I'm actually wearing a Kingdom Come shirt. I, yeah, I noticed that when you, first, when you first um, came in. That, I was that's, like, oh, wow. that's not on purpose. I actually caught them with Keith St. John. Yeah. And he, he's brilliant. Yeah. And. I was very happy to hear Rick say that they're writing new music. Mm. Um, they can't release it for a while. Right. They're obligated not to release music for a certain amount of time. Right. And but after that, then I think they're going to come out with new new music. And I am I'm happy they're doing it. Maybe they should do it. They'll release it anyways, but do it as a big finger to like all the critics in the music press <laughs> and come out and call it Kingdom Clone. Yeah, that's all. Just news. to shit with people. Yeah, that's old news. <laughs> I think that, but they could do it under that name. I thought they were. Do they sound like Zeppelin? Yeah, yeah. they do. They do, but it was, I thought the treatment was harsh. They can all play. The guy sounds Lenny sounded like Robert Plant. So fucking what? Yeah, but it, it was it it wasn't it wasn't that they sounded like Zeppelin. That wasn't the problem. It was the they problem. denied they sounded like Zeppelin? Exactly. Yeah. Never which, heard. I don't listen to Zeppelin. I've, never heard of Zeppelin. I've interviewed James. Like I've interviewed Danny. Yeah. And I've interviewed Rick. Yeah. And they all said the same thing yeah. that that was the fucking worst thing that any of the guys in the band could have said. Yeah. Exactly. Is exactly. Deni- was to deny that they right. sounded like Zeppelin. Because straight away, all the writers are going to laugh at you and say, "Who the fuck do you think you are?" Right. Exactly. And yeah. that's what happened. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And of course, what's exactly going to happen right now is uh, we're going to wrap up the show for this week. Because uh, it's been definitely been a long one. You know, you had all the stuff from Rick Steer, and now you got all the stuff from Danny Stagg, and then you got the two of us just kind of uh, talking back and forth. And uh, yeah, I think it's about time to call it a week. Mm. Get the album, <laughs> revisit them. Yeah, that's that, the way I, I look at this thing is you mightn't like the album, you might have certain, yep. you know, perceptions about the band and all that. Get the album out again and listen. Yeah. If you still don't like it, fine. You never know. You might right. appreciate it more now right. after, but check after it hearing out. these things. Definitely check it out. But also, if you want, make sure you uh, you check out Richie over on Facebook. He's always on there and uh, happy to have the interaction. I'm always in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
Again, I'm always on Twitter and, uh, you know, main website, focusonmetal.net, as well as our, our, our news and show notes site, which is focusonmetal.blogspot.com. But uh, I think that is it for this week. That's it. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So See for ya. myself. See ya. That'll do it. And uh, as we always say, until we talk to you again next week, remember. Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.